Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. You guys have been hearing uh, for a long time about how much I love Cross Tracks, but now you're going to hear from somebody else. So we got George Gerges here. George is a member and a user of Cross Tracks. George, tell me real quickly what you love about Cross Tracks. The simplicity of using it and the ability to customize everything that you could do with Cross Tracks is awesome. It actually allowed me to take the way that I do my business and implement it into their system. And not only am I able to manage 10 or 15 cases, I'm able to manage 50 to 100 cases with the same effort. Fantastic. So Crosstracks, um, the case management system, they are SOC 2 certified. Basically, that's an encryption, really an upgrade. They're the only ones out there that are doing it. So please support this great sponsor that supports our show. Uh, check them out. The links are in the show notes. Crosstracks, if you're an investigator, you should be using them today. Welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Jim Nanos is back and we're talking surveillance. Jim has a great perspective on a technique called deconfliction. What does this mean? Matt had no idea either. Seriously though, it's a great topic and this is a great episode. So please welcome Jim Nanos and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Today, we got a friend back. Somebody who is like the surveillance guy. It's better to know the guy than be the guy. That's who I stole that phrase from, and I use it all the time. However, I do give an asterisk and a credit to my buddy, Jim Nanos. So, Jim, I want to welcome you back to the program. Hey, Matt, it's great to be back. I, I love doing a podcast. We're good friends, and this is this is always a blast. Yeah, yeah, this is an easy one for me today. So, it's I'm, we're recording this uh, like the day before Thanksgiving, so uh, I'm I'm taking a layup here. <laughs> my birthday. It's actually my birthday, so I'm spending my birthday on uh, on the podcast. Well, happy birthday to you. Before we get started, I just want to bring a, attention to something. So the, the month of December, uh, folks that are YouTubing are going to notice that I'm wearing a, a shirt called Skull Games. And uh, in January, we're going to have uh, Buddy Jericho on about it. So Skull Games is uh, a really neat concept um, that involves sex trafficking and, and rescuing sex traffic workers. So uh, I just wanted to point some attention to that. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to do that episode in a couple of weeks um, leading into it. So uh, I, I just wanted to explain the shirt a bit. But back to Jim, my, my buddy here, uh, Apple Investigations, and he's a New Jersey guy. And Jersey guy. <laughs> he's very helpful for me. He's one of my go to's in, in New Jersey. And he serves on the, um, the association, New Jersey Association as the president. Uh, and before we jump into the topic, Jim, you, you said you're, there's a joint conference coming up in 2023. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, Matt, thanks. Thanks for bringing it up. We, we just announced it a couple of days ago. Uh, the New Jersey Association, which I'm president, I, I have, my board is phenomenal. We have a board that I work with, some folks that are absolutely top notch. 
and, and I, I couldn't be more thrilled to, to make the announcement in, in joint uh, working with PALI, the Pennsylvania Association. In 2023, New Jersey Association and the Pennsylvania Association will be doing a joint conference in September. It's going to be held at the Valley Forge uh, Hotel Casino Resort in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And, and we're just thrilled to death. Um, New Jersey hasn't had a conference in about six years. Um, and PALI does one every year. I go to it every single year, and it's always a great time. Conversations. We're just going to get together and do a joint conference, and I, I hope it works out, and I'm sure it will. Yeah, are they going to bring the chocolate? <laughs> yeah, sure? well, I, I, I'm not too sure about the chocolate this year. I, um, I, I'm not too sure what we're going to end up bringing, what the Jersey Association is bringing with the Pennsylvania <laughs> Association. But, you know, in our two groups, there's a lot of crossover yeah. um, between the membership, and it, it just seemed like it was a natural thing to do. I've got a very supportive board, and Eileen Law and Rick Carpenter in Pennsylvania, they are just great people to work That's with. Awesome. And yeah. we just kicked it around one time and said, hey, why don't we give it a shot? And we've been working on it for a few months, and we finally made the announcement a couple days days ago and we're super stoked and really excited and we and it will be open to non-members also so as we get a little closer we'll do a little bit more announcement and publicity and, and i hope everybody um, who's interested in, in associations and what we talk about shows up and has a good time yeah uh, i if i'm around i'm there um so i know what you can bring though you, you got to bring saltwater taffy uh, you know, it was, I, I think, I think saltwater taffy might be, uh, uh, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that, but now that you mentioned that, that's actually a, a great one to, to represent the shore in Jersey. But there you go. Just got to bring some toothbrushes and toothpaste. Too. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody may lose a crown. <laughs> so, um, okay. So today we're talking surveillance again. You're kind of known as, as being somebody who's very passionate about doing surveillance work. Um, it's kind of your thing. Um, and uh, a real interesting concept that we wanted to talk about today. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. So <laughs> tell me uh, tell me about your subject here and what we're covering. So I wanted to chat a little about what we call deconfliction. And, and short of politics and religion, Matt, there's not too much more in the world, especially when you get into the, law, uh, the PI world, that will draw more uh, left and right, up and down, whatever you want to say, when as when you mentioned deconfliction, there are some folk, folks such as myself, I deconflict every single surveillance that I do. And I'll, I'll go a little explanation of what that is. And there are other folks absolutely pull their arms up and say, absolutely no way, never will I do deconfliction. Um, so when I, when I mentioned deconfliction, what I'm really talking about is the notification of law enforcement that you, meaning the PI, will be out doing uh, a surveillance or doing work in a particular area. In the law enforcement world, all the years when, when I was a police officer, um, Deconfliction referred to the process of determining when law enforcement personnel are conducting an event in close proximity to one another, or if two agencies happen to be working the same case. Um, you, you might have, and this happened many, many times, and in the early 80s, very early 90s, there was very little deconfliction. And sometimes you'd go out and work a case for six or seven months only to find out that two other agencies were working the same target. Right. And you don't know that until it's too late or somebody steps on somebody's toes. That's all changed in the law enforcement world and deconfliction and deconflicting cases. Now, there's an entire process that you go through and it really, you know, it's for officer safety. And, and it also um, stops duplication of effort and multiple people working the same target. It's slightly different when we talk about the private investigators world. When we talk about the PI world. Deconfliction really is the process of, adv of advising or notifying. Law, law enforcement personnel, the presence and intended activity of a private investigator in a specific geographic area. Right. And, and as I said, a, a lot of folks don't want to do this because they're afraid they're going to be um, giving away what their case is. Um, I'll tell you that in my company 
And what I recommend when I do this presentation on the road at associations, uh, conferences and, and meetings, I really believe in my heart deconfliction is a best practice. And we or you should absolutely do it on every, almost every single surveillance detail um, you do. Now, I will give a caveat and say, hey, if you're driving by a house to just see if a car is present, I, I don't deconflict that case. But if I park my car, I shut off the car, I whip out the camera or the video camera, and I'm going to be there for any extended period of time, I absolutely positively make a call to the local law enforcement agency and at the very least a phone call. Sometimes I actually have to go in person, but I conduct deconfliction. I let them know I'm going to be there. And, and, and I, as we get along, Matt, I'll show you an example of something that I produce for my company that I use in deconfliction. So... Um uh, how much do you think uh, you're talking about the federal on the federal level, you know, law enforcement and all that? How much do you think that, um, you know, 9-11 in 2001 um, had to deal with that? Because there was a lot of that going on with with operations going on that other agencies weren't aware of going. Do you think that's a like a contributing factor to policies? One, 100 percent. And I'll tell you, um, as, as your listeners know, I'm a Jersey guy, although I'm in extreme southern New Jersey. If you take the other end of the state, which is, you know, right across the river from New York, that after 9-11, there was a lot going on up there. I was living there. I was in Fairlawn. You were living there. I mean, you're there. You know. Yeah, and, no, I was in Fairlawn, New Jersey. So many, yeah. so many agencies were, were parachuted in there and were working cases that and you had, you know, targets that were shared by multiple agencies. It really became a safety issue, but also a huge duplication of services and effort. We only have X amount of dollars to go around, but there's no shortage of bad guys. So you want to make sure that you don't have one get bad guy being watched by, you know, four or five, six, 10 different agencies sometimes, right. local law enforcement, state uh, agencies, federal agencies. So that's where deconfliction came up. There's a whole process to go through. And even on the lowest level, I mean, at local police departments. When, when I was still in the job, I retired in 2010. You know, we were due deconfliction. And if you're working a case, you would call the county authorities or the state authorities and say, we're working, you know, target X in this area. Do you have anything going? And, and you'd be surprised how many times say, yeah, that guy's on our radar. And maybe they're not actively working a case, but they would have information that would be useful to you. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it really came up in law enforcement. Well, you know, I, I think back to uh, just an episode I did, uh, last week uh, with Wes Bearden, we were talking about the, uh, the, you know, foreign governments hiring private investigators to do surveillance. And one of the individuals in the article um, came across that situation. So he was surveying somebody in New York, uh, I think Brooklyn or something like that. And the FBI was actually <laughs> surveying the same, <laughs> same right. person. Uh, and it's like they, uh, they saw that this guy kept coming, this investigator kept coming, setting up and doing and uh you know the knock on the window you know knock 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 uh hey the people you're working for aren't ex aren't the people you think they are right right um and of course he cooperated after that but you know you see stuff like that happen so it's uh it's funny and and you know there, there is no requirement for us to do this there, there or i'm not aware of any i don't know if any states um there has been some talk about um some states or some municipalities requiring yeah you to do conflict deconfliction, but I'm not familiar with any. There could be your listeners may shoot me an email and say our local municipality, our state has that. I'm not familiar with it, but I'll tell you as a best practice, I, I do it on absolutely every case, as we just mentioned, you know, when I'm actually setting post or, or working a job for anything more than just a simple drive by a house. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, you, you got to think it's, it's helpful, right? So, I mean, what, what's the blowback on it? What are people's resistance to do it? What do they think uh, are the drawbacks to it? If, if any, well, there are, and, and that's a good, a great question, Matt. And, 
usually what I hear when I, um, I'll give you an example. I, I did a couple conferences when I did the entire, uh, this is usually about an hour block that I do hour and a half block. And there's a lot of questions and answers. And most of the blowback, if you will, comes from folks that work in, in uh, those very small, tight knit communities where they figure if they call the local police department and they speak to a dispatcher, they don't know if that dispatcher or that person answering the phone would have some sort of a connection with your potential target. Um, and there's always that possibility. I mean, um, you know, you work in small police departments, you never know who's related to who. And, and there's all kinds of stories that you hear. But at the end of the day, your safety or my safety should take precedent and paramount over that possibility of maybe blowing a case or losing it. And when I do call, I, I don't necessarily tell them, hey, I'm working a Smith case. It's a workers' comp case or it's a uh, cohabitation case and it's going to be at 123 Main Street. I give them general information. I, I very rarely have any communications operators that will say, I want the address. I want the target name. I just give them a very general, broad area geographically that I'm working in, my contact information, and, and I can go over that in a little bit with the sample that I have. Yeah, and I've, I've had very few people that will come back and say, give me more information. Yeah, we're going to look at that sample after the break. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, do you, you get plate uh, information too? Like, you know, this is my car, this is my vehicle? or not really? Absolutely. I, I find that um, extremely important. And and I, I will give you a little bit of a story. Um, uh, in, in this one particular case I was working, I, I, I had gone back to this one neighborhood multiple times on a, um, a, a cohabitation investigation. And the people I was watching, they're pretty up on surveillance. I mean, they, they weren't doing counter surveillance, but yeah. these people knew what was going on and they figured they might be the target. So their heads were on a swivel and every time I came out, they were looking around. So I would have to go back and I'd have to constantly switch up vehicles. And it, it was to the point where I was actually renting cars so I wouldn't be taking the same cars back. I, I drove my two cars, my kids' cars. Right. I mean, I ran out of cars. <laughs> so I had to rent cars to go up there and, and do this particular surveillance. So this one particular day, I call the communications operator, and, and it's probably third or fourth time there. Um, a great receptive individual. I gave her all my information. I gave her a description of the car and, of course, my cell phone number. And I don't think I was out there 15 minutes until um, I got a phone call back and said, hey, a neighbor – just called and reported you or your vehicle as a suspicious vehicle. And I have to send a, an officer out there. So I, I knew I had to get out of there before the officer came and the officer knew what was going on, but they still had to come out because they did not want to not respond to a, a citizen's complaint. And I knew when I went back, I couldn't park in that particular area. And I knew that there was a neighbor who was actually cognizant to what's going on in the neighborhood. So I've had occasions where I'll get callbacks and let let me know that somebody's called about me or at least that they're sending a police officer. So, um, and if I hadn't done that, I would have had a, a police officer come up. You know, I don't know when I go out and do surveillance and none of us know, uh, we may know what's going on right there when we're there. We see there's no activity in the neighborhood, but we don't know what happened there yesterday. We don't know what happened last night, a week before. We don't know if there's been a rash of burglaries or there could have been a, an assault there. And the police are coming there thinking, that your vehicle is somehow connected with prior incidents that we're unaware of. Right. So it, it's important to let them know that we're there. At least in my opinion, it's an absolute must that we have to do in every surveillance detail we do. Yeah, I think it, it makes sense. It's important. So, all right, we're going to uh, take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to bring up a sample of uh, the, the information that you exchange. And, and we're going to um, dive into this topic a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. And I just love their service. I've been using them 
since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers and uh, it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information, I think is one of the best points of how Scope Now can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope Now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Information Education Consultants is proud to announce that their Certificate of Professional Investigation is now available online at IECOIT.com. If you're interested in learning the investigation profession, what better resource to consult than the mind of the nationally renowned private investigator, Rory McMahon? Rory has compiled 40 years of experience into an online training resource for the benefit of the current and next generation of professional investigators. The site offers CEUs for current licensed professionals and is a recommended stop for our true crime aficionado friends and family. Check it out today at IECOIT.com. That's IECOIT.com. Are you an investigative professional with an international problem you can't solve? Conflict International has the knowledge and relationships to jump in for you. We compensate investigators for referring cases to our office. Contact us today for details. Conflict International uses insight, intelligence, investigation, risk management, and strategic solutions to solve problems troubling individuals and companies of all kinds, anywhere around the world. Whether you're planning to hire a person to a position of trust, carry out due diligence on a company, trace hidden assets, or require skilled boots on the ground, Conflict International investigators can seamlessly pursue a case across borders, offering a truly global solution. Find out about our extensive range of services at ConflictInternational.com. Conflict International. Global reach. 
international knowledge. Take a look at the latest issue of PI Magazine, available online or via hard copy. Visit PIMagazine.com to learn more. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host, with uh, Jim Nanos, your co-host today. <laughs> so, Jim, I want to welcome you back to the program. Thanks, Matt. And I am talking fast today. I'm on my <laughs> third cup of coffee, so I'm pretty wound up this morning. Well, you know, it's the, it's the birthday coffee, right? <laughs> it's my birthday coffee. That's correct. Get some cake coming, too. <laughs> Before we took the break, we had teased a, uh, a, a document, a form uh, that we were going to show the folks that are listening to the video or listening that are watching the video version of this. Uh, if you're um, listening, go, uh, go, go listen to the YouTube version and you'll see this. So, uh, Jim, if you want to bring your screen up, let's, uh, let's dive into that. Okay. So, Matt, before, we, before I bring up the screen, if I could, I'll just go through the process um, of what I typically do when I when I do a deconfliction. So I'll go out and I'll do a surveillance. And usually the first thing I do is I set up my post on the surveillance so I know where I'm going to be. As soon as I set the surveillance, I immediately, I call the local police department and or the sheriff's department or whoever the law enforcement agency is in your particular area. And, and I should note that I research that ahead of time. So I don't want to be sitting in my car at my cell phone trying to Google and see what police department's handling that area. I know that before I go out there. So I'll call or on occasion, I'll visit the local police department, but usually a phone call will suffice. suffice. Mm -hmm. And I have a specific inf uh, list of information, and I'll, I'll, we'll demo that in a second, of what I've developed that I actually send to the police department. I'll ask the communications operator, do you have a generic email for the police department or a fax number. I, there's not a police department out there these days that don't have info at, you know, ABC right. police department or something. And right. I'll be able to send them this, this sheet. Um, I also give them a general overview of my operation. I'll tell them it's a missing person case or it's a cohabitation or a workers comp case. It's important that you give them your start and your stop time. So I want to tell them, hey, it's eight o'clock and I'll be here till three o'clock or four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon. And something that a lot of folks overlook is you want to ask the dispatcher or communications operator, when is their shift change? And why that's important is if I'm out on a job till five o'clock or 5 p.m., I'll say, and they have a shift change at three o'clock, I will call back and re-deconflict the case at about 10 after three. Right. I, I don't necessarily know if maybe my information has fallen through the cracks or they simply gave it out at a morning roll call and the afternoon roll call doesn't isn't aware of it. So I always will re-deconflict the case, if that's a word, re-deconflict the case at shift change. And, and that's important because you can't just assume that the next men and women coming on the shift know that you're out there. So um, that's important that we do that. So we'll go to the, the share screen. We're good. So this is, and I may have to look over my right shoulder here, Matt, I apologize, and to the viewers. So this is a sheet that I developed, and this is what I send out um, on, on almost every single call. Sometimes the dispatchers say, I don't need this. Communications operators say, I don't need this. But this is something I've just done on my Word document. Um, so I, I list up top private investigator in the area. I'm a cop. I was a cop for, for 28 years, so I get to say this. Sometimes you have to put it in plain English for the men and women in blue. Um, the private investigator in the area, and in red, I put the actual date that I'm going to be there. Um, I'll, and I've redacted some of the information off this because this is actually one that I recently used uh, a right. few months ago, or my sample, I should say. So I'll give the actual street address and the town, and I'll give the resident uh, or the occupant's name. Sometimes you get men and women out there that work in a town and they may, the address may not ring a bell, but they'll say, oh yeah, that's the Smith residence on, on Main Street. We've been there a few times where they may not recognize the number. Yeah. Um, I give them the exact time that I expect to be in the area. I move down 
I put my name down. I immediately put down I'm a retired a law enforcement officer. I'm a sergeant or I was a sergeant and the police department I worked with. Um, that's sort of like so you can establish your credibility, hopefully, that you're not, you know, some some who knows who out there. there there's lots of agencies or companies out there that hire non-licensed investigators. Um, so you want to throw that right out there that, that you're a Leo or retired Leo or law enforcement, uh, retired law enforcement. I put my business name. And it's important. I immediately, one of the first lines up there you'll see is my cell phone number, because obviously I'm going to have my cell phone number with me. Um, I put down my uh, office number also in the event that they should can't get through my cell phone, they can call the office number. And then I go immediately down to the vehicle I will be driving that particular day. Um, in this case, I'm driving my black Kia Optum, which I'm still driving, which I am just miles away, Matt, from 400,000 miles on that car. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's it served its purpose. I'm up to 400K. Wow. So I'll put my uh, my black Kia Optima, uh, my registration, my license plate, and then I follow it up with my business address. Now, the next bunch of information there, next items there, sometimes I get people say, I never thought about doing that. Um, this is the information that most communications operators will be asking of you, or they will have to generate a case number to show that you called, and they might want this information. And I'll show you how this actually has some benefit maybe a little later down the road. Um, but I provide a copy of my New Jersey driver's license, which is upper left. Moving to the right, I'll provide them a copy of my uh, state of New Jersey private investigator's license. Moving down, I'll give them my company uh, license uh, identification. Everybody who works in my company, um, I provide them as we're required in New Jersey, provide them an agency identification. So that's what my agency identification looks like. Uh, moving over to the right, second down, I give them a copy of my business card. Mm -hmm. um, finally, lower left-hand corner is my vehicle registration. And then again, I, I was a cop for a lot of years. I'm a visual learner. You know, sometimes I, I like shiny things like most cops do. I give them a photograph of my car with my license plate there. Um, because, mo you know, sometimes people don't know what a Kia Optima looks like. So I provide them a photograph. And this is something I will fax out in color if they ask for it or, or email, I should say, more appropriately these days. I will email this to the police department and they'll have that. And most of the times they'll print it out, put it in a roll call book or pass it on. Sometimes we'll even actually give it to the guys and girls on the street. But right. everything he or she answering that phone should want from me or need from me, if I were to go into the station at the desk and speak to like a desk sergeant, I provide them on this document. And, and one of the interesting things of this, uh, using this sort of document, I have sent this to police departments. And a few weeks later, a month later, I'll get a phone call from a police officer looking to hire an investigator, maybe for a matrimonial type issue. And I'll ask him or her, where'd you hear about me? Because I do that on every case, every time I get a phone call. And I've actually had guys say, well, you did a job and you sent, um, you know, an information sheet. And I saw it in the police station. So this is actually almost a form of advertising. Too. Yeah, it's great. It's free, right? Uh, it works out. Yeah, it's free advertising. <laughs> um, but this this should keep you, and I'm using the air quotes here, keep you out of trouble and it should give the guys and girls on the street everything that they need to know that you're legitimate, you're in the area, you're a professional, and, and here's who to look for in case they have to roll through that neighborhood on a call. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all in, important stuff. And uh, yeah, it's always you know a matter of keeping yourself protected, right? Um, both professionally and, and, and safety-wise, right? Right. Um, you know, making and sure you're not opening yourself up to any kind of liability. One thing I also do, and it's not on this particular sheet, and I do this verbally, is when I am talking to the communications operator, um, I will also tell him or her that I'm armed. 
I'm a retired law enforcement officer. I have what we call New Jersey RPO, reserve or retired police officer, HR 218. It's, it's different all over the country. I tell them I am armed. And, and the reason I do that and the reason I do deconfliction is it, there, it's a, it's, there's two main reasons, Matt. One, obviously, I want to protect myself. I want to make sure that if something happens, they know there's a retired cop and a neighbor, a private investigator. Um, and, and I don't want anybody coming up on my car thinking they're approaching a burglar or, or somebody's out there to do um, up to no good. But I also have to look at it, and we should all look at it from the standpoint of maybe the young police officer, him or her, working out in a patrol car, and they're rolling up on a suspicious person um, in a neighborhood. And remember, we have no control over what information the person who called the police department has given the police. You know, we always assume it's just going to be, oh, there's a suspicious car parked outside of my house um, for the last two hours. But we don't know what Mrs. McGilligutty has told the cops that she thinks she has seen. Right. So. You know, we can't just assume that the police are just rolling up on a suspicious vehicle. And as I said earlier, we don't know what has happened in a neighborhood the day before, the week before. So you want to make sure that you're obviously protecting yourself, but also think about it from the perspective of that officer who's rolling in on that call. You want to make sure that he or she maybe uh, at least has a heads up that it's, it may not be what Mrs. McGillicuddy is saying is, is it's probably that private investigator. And hopefully you're, you're deconflicting it and you're not going to get any any safety issues. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and you always got to worry about the, the neighbors too, the nosy neighbors and, and things like that. Like they're, those are the ones that call the cops, <laughs> you know, I, I call them the block captains. I mean, everyone has one. I've got one in my neighborhood, you know, where you can't roll down the street without um, this gentleman sticking his head out the door to see what's going on. And that's good because yeah. if, if I'm not home and I'm traveling and I, and he sees somebody outside of my house, I, I want that person you know, in my neighborhood, but nobody wants that person in the neighborhood they're doing a surveillance. Right. So you just have to understand it happens. Those people exist. You can't, I mean, you embrace them, you know, at least they're looking out for their neighbors. So, you know, you got to assume that there is that block captain in the neighborhood and you're going to have to work through that situation um, when it comes up. So as somebody who's like a new surveillance person, who's, who's just kind of getting into the business and, and finding their way here, what are some are some of the other challenges that they could face and how do they get around it? Well, usually the biggest or one of the biggest challenges I had in transitioning from law enforcement to PI world is, you know, uh, when you go out and you do that surveillance, Matt, especially, you know, you're doing you're doing a fixed post, you're sitting someplace, you're watching something, um, you know, do your homework. Uh, you know, look at the neighborhood on Google Earth ahead of time. Try to determine, is it residential? Is it commercial? Um, I'll give you an example. I, I've looked on, on Google Earth and I see that no one parks in the streets in this neighborhood because everyone has long driveways. Right. So a car parked in the street is actually out of out of place where everyone's parked in their driveway. So that's a particular neighborhood. I know in advance um, that I'm not going to be able to park in front of somebody's house. And obviously I can't park in someone's driveway. So that's a challenge that I want to know about ahead of time before I get there at seven o'clock in the morning and set up a surveillance and find out that there's no place to park right. in this particular neighborhood. So Google Earth is a great tool. You should use it. You can look at the type of vehicles. You can look at businesses. You can look at maybe areas that you can park. Do that heads up if you don't have the ability to actually go out there ahead of time and do you know, I call pre-surveillance surveillance or pre-surveillance right. assessment. Right. And bill for it, please, people. <laughs> and absolutely bill for it. And, and I tell my clients ahead of time, look, I, I'd rather have you spend an hour's worth of my labor to, for me to tell you this is why we need more resources or why we can't approach this the way we think we can than for you to pay me eight hours to go out there and I can't park someplace. Right. Um, front load it. 
Um, and that will save you money. And I've had jobs where I've actually told the client, look, I know you want to hire me for 30 or 40 hours worth of surveillance over the next two weeks. But for these reasons, I don't think it's going to be the best expenditure of your resources or your money. And, and it, I may only get a hundred bucks out of that case, but that client or that lawyer understands that I'm not just trying to uh, bill hours. I mean, they, they understand that maybe we'll approach it from a different a direction, but they are appreciative of you being uh, cognizant of their resources. Yeah. So what do you do in a situation like that where, where you can't park in the street like that? You, you go for a trail cam or, or something? Well, and, and that's a great point, Matt, is I've had cases where, um, you know, the the uh, the attorney will call me and say, we just want to do four hours of surveillance. I go out there and I look at it on Google Earth. I go out and do my pre-surveillance assessment. I, I go back with the attorney and I say, this is why this will not work, whether it's four hours or then you want to expand it. It's not going to work for you know a host of reasons. And sometimes I've been able to upsell that to, well, let's do a, tr let's do a poll camera or let's do some sort of unmanned surveillance or, or let's try to maybe get a second person or, or there's lots of other alternatives. But if you present it right and you do your homework and you're a professional, the fact that you can't do the job as you normally would may actually lead to additional business. It absolutely will lead to goodwill with the attorney because right. they're no, they know you're just not going out there and punching out four hours to, to bill somebody four hours. You're actually a professional and you're looking at how you need to approach this particular surveillance. Yeah, I remember we had one job. And I do a lot of surveillance work, but every now and then something pops up where we got to do it because you know, I'm, I'm playing only mostly. Um, uh, I had a guy that you know, like had to go to a neighborhood and it was a, uh, one of these things where it was an, uh, there was no real parking cause it was on the main road. Right. So it was a, a busy road, but there was a, a, a road on the side that you could um, you could park at, but you, there's no real vantage point there. So my guy was smart. So he brought his dog to work. <laughs> so he would walk get the a dog, dog yeah. walk the dog, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, I guess I got to pay pay the dog too, huh? <laughs> yeah, got to pay the dog. I, I had I had a case where um, an attorney uh, retained me to go out and do a surveillance on a house for just a four hour block, sort of get the temperature of what's going on, and it was going to lead to additional surveillance. I did my pre-surveillance, I did an assessment, and I identified. And the attorney didn't tell me this. This was a gated community right. that I wasn't able to get into the community either legally. Um, you know, there were there were signs that said no trespassing. There was a, a uniformed officer. Um, at the gate, there was no way to get into the community. And through Google Earth, I was able to determine that there's actually a front and a rear. Now, I the plan was, well, I'll just set up outside of the community and I'll wait for my target to exit. I knew what kind of car he was driving. But as it turned out, there were an entrance and an exit and this person could go out either way. Yeah. And in review with the attorney, that led me to be able to bring a second investigator on board to sit at the other, other uh, exit or entrance. And, you know, in our world, it's it's a rarity where an attorney or a client will authorize a second person because sure. of expenditure and resources. But if you do your homework, you present it right and you say, look, if you want me to park and sit outside of this place, there's a 50 percent chance that I'm going to get this person. Right. And I was able to explain that, articulate that. And that attorney and the client opted for a second investigator and it worked out. But had I not done my homework. I would have been scrambling the day of the surveillance, trying to call the attorney he could have been in court, do it ahead of time, get your stuff together, make the presentation, explain why you do not think that attorney, that surveillance is going to be successful. Um, and it's not a good expenditure of the money. And sometimes that'll lead to additional work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th these are all important points here. What, what else can you tell the, the newer guys that are just kind of getting out there? Make sure you get the right equipment. Um, 
get yourself. I have a dedicated camera bag, a, what I call it my surveillance bag. And I usually demo that when I go to conferences. Um, and that's always guys want to see what I carry in my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a dedicated equipment bag. When I first started, like every other PI I used to have all my cameras up on a shelf and I'd sort of go like I was shopping like this morning. I'll take one of these, two of these, a cable, a charger, like an a la carte type setup. And, and you always you always end up forgetting something right. or you don't have the right equipment. So what I've done now, my, my model now is. I have my surveillance bag or my camera bag. And Matt, I literally, when I walk out of my door, um, I'm armed. I take my camera bag, my wallet, my phone. I go no place without that because I've had lots of cases where I'll just be running down to get gas or something. I'll get a phone call and an attorney will say, can you run by and grab some pictures? Somebody's there now. I've got my bag with me. But the important part is every single thing, and I'm looking over my left-hand shoulder because it's actually sitting here, but everything that I need to do the surveillance short of maybe a, 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 a Pixel 1000 where I have a 3000 millimeter lens. I mean, my normal run-of-the-mill surveillance stuff, it's in that bag. I have it with me all the time. For the new guys and girls out there that do surveillance, develop that camera bag, equip it properly. Your cell phone, I get guys that will say, this is all I need. Well, that's not all you need. There's other things that you need. Develop yourself a bag. Make sure you got your cables, your chargers, everything that you need. So no matter what vehicle you're in, that bag sitting next to you and you have all your equipment. I, I can't stress that enough because I've done lots of surveillances where early on many years ago, I didn't have the right charging cable. I picked up the wrong cable. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you one other trick I do with my cables is every cable in that surveillance uh, bag has a yellow piece of tape around it so that I know anything with a yellow piece of tape belongs in that surveillance bag. Oh, it's uh, good. So, so everything's color code and they make, they make fancy little tags you can put on them. I just put yellow uh, uh, electrical tape. It's colored electrical tape, but everything in there has a yellow tag on there. And my cameras have yellow tags that belong there too. So I know if I see a cable that's sort of adrift someplace, if it's yellow, it's got to go in that bag. Everything has a yellow tag on there, belongs in that surveillance bag. Um, because, you know, there are going to be times you take it out and you use it in a car and instead of you inadvertently, instead of putting your bag, you stick it in the console or you, you stick it, it falls onto the floor. If I find it a day later and it's got yellow on it, I know it's got to find its way back to that bag. That nano guy, he really dumbs down everything. no it's it's lots of mistakes matt (laughs) oh man i was at a discovery inspection a court ordered discovery inspection once and this is probably a year or two i'm in business and uh i had a nikon and uh, the battery was dead and i left my charger at home (laughs) so (laughs) here they are it's like you get one shot you know to get in there and get your photos and it's like what did what did i do you know thankfully i had my mentor uh, i reached out to him i said hey um I got a problem, you know, hey, this is what's going on. He's like, well, I happen to be a few blocks away and, you know, I got extra batteries. So yep. I'll, I'll drop you know, it. It's probably maybe some other show we could do. I go through the bag, but just real quickly, you mentioned about chargers. So I always take my 12 volt chargers, which will plug into the cigarette lighter. But in addition, I don't know if you can see this, but this is actually in my camera bag. I just reached over and took it out. This is simply a 110 inverter from Walmart. They run about 20 bucks. Yeah. And and I, in addition to my 12-volt chargers, I also take the, the AC chargers that plug into the wall. And this is also good for your laptop. I mean, if your laptop battery starts going dead, you can plug in. But this is, you know, 20 bucks, $22, throw it in your camera bag. It's real small, plugs right into your outlet. And this goes with me on every job. So I always have 12-volt power, but I also have 110 power. And this is really meant for my laptop. You get out there for eight or 10 hours doing a job, and you need your laptop for some reason, and the battery's dead. You forgot the charge or whatever. I'm telling you, this is a lifesaver. Yeah, you got to keep up on the House of the Dragon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, all right, man, we're going to wind down over here. 
Uh, Jim, it's always great having you on, man. And, and I feel like, yeah, if we just go on one topic after the other, after the other, after the other, um, you know, it's uh, it's so great chatting with you. And um, if folks want to get a hold of you, if they have any questions or they want to follow up on this, how would they get a hold of you? Matt, and I encourage people to call me. I, I truly, you can tell sometimes, I, I tell people sometimes my life sort of sucks because I love doing surveillance and talking surveillance. I would keep, keep talking forever. If you ever wanted anybody out there, if you want to chat about any surveillance topic or you know, ask the mistakes that I've made so that you don't make those mistakes. I don't know everything, but I've made lots of mistakes. And sometimes I can't tell you what does work, but sometimes I can tell you what doesn't work. You know, contact me. You can either email me through my website, appleinvestigations.com or, or Matt, I don't know if you post my phone number, but you can call me anytime. It's all over my website, my cell phone. I, I love talking about this stuff. I'm passionate about surveillance. Just give me a call. This is, this is my thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll have all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Great. Okay. So um, everybody, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, I want to say, be sure that you tune into the episode next week. We're doing a, a roundtable discussion on how to be a PI. It's for the folks that are starting up that um, really have questions on, on, on really the procedures and processes of, of what it takes to be a PI. I feel like this was a sneak peek here today, a little teaser. Um, but, uh, we got a great panel together and uh, that's going to air next week. So, um, typically I don't tease the, the next week's show, but I'm excited about this one. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Um, Jim, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll chat with everybody next week. Thank you, Jim, for always being a great guest and a very special happy birthday. Now we know what deconfliction means. Also, we want to say a special thanks to Crosstracks, Investigator Education Consultants, Scope Now, and Conflict International for sponsoring our show. So please support our great supporters. Have you thought about joining Investigators Toolbox? Now's the time to get on board and join the fastest growing digital community for investigative professionals. Use code PIP201836 and save 10% when you do join. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.